Himself, but clearly I have no talent either as I know nothing about the Southern Conference as Western Carolina does Western Carolina things. And yes, this is an ETSU show, and yes, we're going to talk ETSU Furman, but we talk about matchups a lot. Jason has Mike Gallagher, if you haven't uh, ever heard us before. Matchups a lot, and I went against my own theory. Mike knows I have theories, right? And I, I, I tend to go with them. Like, my good, bold prediction of Jacksonville beats Indianapolis since like 2015 or 14 or something. They've won. Jacksonville's beaten Indianapolis and Jacksonville no matter how bad they are. And there's just matchups, and you can't explain it. There's just certain things that do well. And why I discounted the fact that Western Carolina is a juggernaut against the Chattanooga Mocs and make it three in a row, and the fact that i got to watch Matt Ryan cry again, uh, even though he's not there anymore, about losing to Western and he just can't deal with it. Just somehow brings me as a Buck fan great joy to see Chattanooga whine and cry. But I don't know what I could have said when we did our SoCon breakdown a couple days ago. I had Western at the bottom of Citadel and probably not winning more than a game or two. And they may only win two more. And they both may be against Chattanooga, which would make me happy. But out of all the things that happened last night, that had to be even last year's win versus Chattanooga twice last year was shocking in the win at Chad, but last night's win for Chattanooga coming off how Western has looked the last couple games had to be the most shocking thing in maybe all of college basketball yesterday. Thanks to Cole, Western Carolina fan Cole, for bringing up that video again. That Matt Ryan video is just priceless. Classic. I can can watch it daily. Apparently he's had a G League contract, somebody told me, which I was like, how? He was not anything special at Chattanooga. He was more and whiny than basketball. He has more tears than he had wins against uh, Western, that's for sure. That is a fact. David G. Baptiste didn't play, but I'm not sure that even if he does play, that may have changed a whole lot. I mean, they could have used a second score last night. Don't get me wrong. Malachi Smith, 33 points, 16 of them at the line. The rest of the team had 26. But they didn't have any issues. The only issues they had last year in the two losses well, they didn't have any issues. The only issues was against ETSU in the SoCon tournament. They had zero issues against the Western thing. So whatever it is, the Catamounts, it's just a good matchup. I, I don't know. But they were impressive in the win, too, Mike. This wasn't, this wasn't like they they hung around and shot, you know, 80% and, you know, they hit 23s or something was going down. I mean, it was a grinded-out, ho-hum, we're a 10-point, 11-point better team than you on that night. Yeah, I mean, you look at the percentages, you look at 
everything that Western Carolina did or didn't do. I mean, 36% from the floor, 25% from three. That, to me, spells another 18-point loss against a top-tier SoCon team like it was on Monday against DTSU, like it I thought would have been against Chattanooga. How does Chat not absolutely pummel Western on the boards? It was 40-40, to 40, even. A dead split on the boards, and their only guy above 6'6", Joe Petrakis, that's in the rotation, Western Carolina. He's a perimeter guy. He's a stretch five. And you've got Silvio DeSosa, who only took six shots. Feed that man the ball. I, I did not understand the game plan from Chattanooga. Maybe they were thrown off by the last-second absence of David G. Baptiste. I'm not sure, but um, not a, a good coaching job, I don't believe, by Lamont Paris uh, in that loss by 11, 70-59. Most of your theories often sound pretty insane when you say them, but more and more they're proving to be correct. Now, you didn't go with this one on the air, obviously, but you came down and talked with me before the game and said, well, I would never predict a victory, but you know, Western Carolina, Chattanooga, it's a lot like, unfortunately, smooth transition, ETSU Edburn. Just problems at Timmins Arena. I mean, are we deflecting early to not talk about that? Sure we are. Sure we are. But I think we got to face the music. We do. We do. And the start of the game, I thought, was a great sign for ETSU. And it carried because they had a ton of energy. They had some offensive rebounds early. I thought they sort of set the tone that this isn't going to be the normal Timmins arena performance. Um and, and, again, it, it got a little, like last year's, it got a little uglier in the last couple minutes than the game really was. But that that happens. There's obviously times where you lose by nine and you were down by 18 and you scored last nine. And, now, honestly, West Carolina made the score against CTSU look better. This was not that case. This was the one where Furman was able just to stretch it a little late. But the, the start of the game I thought was encouraging. I thought a huge thing that will go – Almost unnoticed was the three-pointer at halftime that bounced and bounced and rattled and bounced and went in that made it from a seven-point deficit to a four-point deficit. And then, honestly, if I read you the numbers of, of what is their big three, look at Bothwell, Hunter, and Slauson, five for 11, three for 11, four for seven. They go, what is that, five for 17 from three. I mean, just all the numbers you're thinking, okay, you're going to win that. And then you get Conley Garrison, the transfer from Jury University. Did not take a shot in the first half. Has 23 second points on 8 of 10 shooting. And it just, and and I'm exaggerating some, but it seemed like the seven offensive rebounds in the second half led to seven straight threes from Conley, which it didn't, but it just felt that way. Or or the three-point play. I think he had three threes and a three-point play off offensive rebounds. Like, it was incredible. Yeah, part of the exaggeration is not that he scored all 23 in the second half because he was silent in half one. Like, bystander wouldn't have noticed him. And then to drop 23 in the second half. And, and I'm not going to say that Mohab Yasser canceled him out, but that was a career high for Mohab, right? And so the Bucks did give that you know standout performance that you needed to try and hang with a team that was getting – unbelievable day. I think Garrison's previous Division One career high was 15, so it's not even like he narrowly edged past his career high. He blew past it. I mean, absolutely obliterated it. Um, I've heard and seen some back and forth on, okay, well, you know, Desmond Oliver says the Bucks were the better team the first 36 minutes, you know, whatever the case may be, that exact number that he gave. And some have said, well, I don't know if they were the better team, but are they leading a lot of that? Sure. And I think I probably 
would find a middle ground there. I'm not sure that the Bucks were miles ahead of Furman. I mean, Garrison, whenever they needed a shot, the Paladins got it from him. And there were, in the second half, um, I think some differences from the first half for Furman. Like, when you had Hunter and Bothwell and Slauson, and really everyone that was shooting the three, what were they, 1-12 at the half, 1-14 at the half from outside? I mean, it was horrible. Yeah, they were 1-12 to start the game. Now, I think I think they got the three at halftime. They got them a second or third one. I'll double-check all the stats. It was I, brutal. And so you look at that and you say, well, you know, some teams this year, BMI, Western Carolina in particular, have had really, really bad shooting nights against ETSU. And chuck it up to whatever you want to. You can say – well, they've missed a lot of open looks. Or the Bucks are playing great perimeter defense. Or maybe a mix of both. And it seemed like that first half was a little bit of that as well, right? Like, there were open looks there. And Alex Hunter's a 45% three-point shooter. And he was like one for his first seven. And so the second half, their shots started to go down. And it was a matter of, all right, is Furman like a VMI like Western Carolina where they're going to go 40 minutes without hitting a lot of shots? Or are they going to prove to be a team that is going to be able to get past those early woes and start to hit their shots and be in this game and maybe pull off this game at the end, and that is the team that we saw. And it's unfortunate for ETSU because I do think that they were somewhere between either vastly the better team or just ahead for a while. I think they were the the better team for a lot of those first 36 minutes and then just kind of inexplicably, and you and me talked about it earlier off air, but no points the last 259. They were the, on that night, they were the better team for majority of the night. Garrison was the best player on that night, and he canceled the best. Not the best, because they were just, they were a little better. And better doesn't, you know, you could, I guess you could, you know, do you want to say world's better? Do you want to say a little better? They, ETSU for 36 minutes was a little better. The difference is ETSU couldn't close. And Furman in that building is the best team in that building. Yeah. And they're the best closing team in that building. And for two straight years, ETSU has watched them get closed out by the better team in their building. So, you know, I, I think ETSU did some things that were so encouraging that they've not done – really the last two games. One, they specifically tried to get the ball inside and didn't stand out there and just shoot threes after three after three, which is not their strong suit. The passing was incredible, the sharing the ball. There was a lot of one-touch passes that led to dunks or layups, and and guys just, you know, they didn't catch the ball, dribble, and do something with it. They caught it, they moved it, they passed it, they got buckets. I thought that was encouraging. I thought Furman was a lot better, as Coach said, execution and the details late in the game. ETSU under three minutes after the three by David Sloan, Brewer, Ladaria steps out of bounds. The shot goes down. Cancel the three. Turnover. Seymour has a clean look. Doesn't hit it. Sloan goes one on four, one on five. Very four shot. Doesn't get it. Bucks waste 14 seconds trying to foul when coach is begging them to foul somebody. And I get that ETSU was trying to get cute and let's go for the steal and see if they call it, don't call it, but at some point you've got to save time because you went from about a minute to 46 seconds. That obviously shrunk the game tremendously at that point. Then you get, you know, King then hit a three, misses layup. At that point it's all, you know, academic. So ETSU, for part of it, looked like a championship contending basketball team. 
the last three minutes, they did not. And Furman's credit, you know, they struggled in key areas in which they don't struggle but found a way to be the better team and win the game. And I think that's fair on both sides. I don't know that either side walked out of there and went decisively we're the better team. I mean, and and some people just look at the score and go, well, Furman won the nine. Well, yes, but I think if you looked at the game, no one looks at that and goes, Furman, head and shoulders above. In the same token, if you actually paid attention to the game and didn't just look at the final score. Correct. And even if ETSU would have snuck out that win, I would be saying the same thing. I don't think you'd look at ETSU and go head and shoulders above Furman. Like, those were two good basketball teams that I think have some work to do to get in the – now, again, I don't know. With Chattanooga, apparently if they can just avoid Western Carolina, they're going to be the team to beat. And I still think Chattanooga is the team to beat. But I think Furman had some flaws that were exposed and showed. It is encouraging that they've got a fourth score that can carry you to a win and didn't see that coming. I mean, I didn't see it coming. I'll give Furman play-by-play guy, good buddy Dan Scott, credit because he had sort of called it before the game. Like, hey, man, this Conley Garrison kid's starting to figure it out at our level. And I'm telling you, I think he's going to be a stud. And then somewhere middle, you know, maybe last media timeout, he was like, see, told you Conley Garrison. And I just responded with, he's our daddy. Like, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about Conley Garrison. He was he was incredible. Made plays defensively, had a two-handed dunk, hit threes, got an and one going to the hoop. Um, I think defensively there were a couple things that he certainly looked a little – a little lost, and I thought, you know, for, for Furman standards and the minutes played, I mean, you still look at the top five guys, 36, 26, 35, 28, 29. Now, Foster played 26 because he had foul trouble. Right. Otherwise, he would have played 30 minutes. And he played the virtually the last eight minutes on the floor with four fouls. He played 14, Anderson 13, then Huey and Pegues. Now, I'll say this, too. I think Furman is typical Furman. They – They've got some pieces they can make some shots. I think they're going to be around the second to fourth best team in the league when it's all said and done. Um, I think they got some issues moving forward when Bothwell and Hunter and Slauson and Garrison go. And we can talk about that on a later date. But, you know, in the same token, you can probably look at ETSU's roster and go, well, you're going to lose Sloan and the Brewers and, you know, we'll, what do you got coming back? And I agree. I mean, those, the, both those teams have a lot of questions coming into it, but this could be the most turnover the Paladins have to do with. The other thing for Furman, if you took out Foster and added Gurley back in, if you're a Furman fan, you have to kind of shake your head. It's tough because we've said this about Donovan Manuel and other players and Traymond Shorts. You know what? If you can go to a, a better school or FBS and you can try to better yourself, I, I'm not one to stop you, you know. Do I think Florida Nationals against Papa Don? I mean, of course I don't. But do I think Tremont George is going to go to a Power 5 or a girly going to Alabama's a good spot? Sure. But, man, if you're a Paladin fan and you're going, if Noah Gurley could have come back for one more year, would have been, I think, the favorite, not knowing what DeSosa would have did, I probably would have put Furman number one if Gurley was back. And, again, it would have been probably because I hate Chattanooga and put Chattanooga two, but still it would have been Furman Chattanooga, I think, the easy one to to go, and no knock on Foster. And to be honest with you, I think Furman could go as far as Foster at 14. He actually was pretty much all they had in the first X amount of minutes. Of the he first was half. very good going to the hoop. Now, I think 
he can develop an outside shot because they work on it enough, but he's 0 for 3 from 3. But if Foster and Garrison can be the two other starters that can carry the load, I think it's going to be a nice firming team. The question is, will they have legs at the tournament, which is always my question. But they were the two guys that you didn't expect to beat you, Foster and Garrison, combined for 37 points, and I think that is also a mark of a good team, that you didn't have things going for you. Those guys are able to make plays. I mean, you look at ETSU, Jordan King, I thought maybe would be able to bounce back. And, again, he just took six shots, and Coach said, what, he needed eight to ten shots? He took six. Yeah, uh, eight to ten threes. Oh, that's fair. He only took two. Two threes. I don't know where in the last 48 hours things got lost. Sloan, 12 points on 5 of 13, not as efficient as he has been. Ty Brewer was efficient, except 4 for 4 from 2. 1 for 5 from 3, or 4 for 5 from 2, or whatever it was. No, he was 5 for 5. 5 for 5 from 2, 1 for 5 from 3, which, again, God bless Ty, but he's he's convinced he's going to knock down all these threes. Ladarius Brewer, 4 for 9. I, I think he's got to get more shots. You've begged for that for years. I thought Yasser was, was really good. He, yeah. he takes three. He does some freshman things. But he also went to the hoop, got a huge layup, then got an offensive rebound on the next trip, and got a putback. And he does some things with some energy and rebounding. You know, Vonnie Patterson, I thought, played about like a Vonnie Patterson should. They put him in in defensive situations. I thought he did a nice job defending. He had uh, one drive to the hoop and got a bucket. And Charlie Weber, one for three from free throw line, that's unusual for him. He got a bounce back. But you look at that, and ETSU didn't quite get enough. It really just didn't get enough shots for guys, and maybe some of it was the pace of play. You know, they want to take 75 shots or whatever. ETSU took 56. Bucks also did not get to the free throw line the last 10 minutes of the game. And they got in the bonus with about 13 minutes to go in the game. So I thought that was another key piece. Well, and we focus on the three with three minutes left from David Sloan. They tied the game at 69 and then the last night with Preferman, but you extended out in the last 550. That's the only bucket that the Bucks got. In the last six and a half minutes, only David Sloan had five points. Nobody else scored. And you finished the game one of your last ten from the floor, and you talked about some of the mistakes. It, I look back at, just to revisit the three-point point on Furman. So they're one of their first 14. Now they end the half four of 20. So there were some threes that started to go down, and you talked about on air, and then I think maybe it's resonated even a bit more overnight, having slept on it, how big that Garrett Heen three was right before the half to make it 39-35 instead of 39-32. So you could see some of those shots starting to go in. They started the game, what, 1 of 14 from outside, and then just doing some quick math. I guess that would have been 10 of their final 21 that went down. And they're a good three-point shooting team. And even 11 of 35 is really not their type of day, right? Like, it's not like they're shooting the lights out. But when they needed shots to go in, they did. And ETSU just did not have that. I want to appreciate, this is really my main point about the game, it was a really good basketball game for like 35, 36, 37 minutes. I mean, it was tremendous on both sides, I thought. Like, you know, there's just those games where you sit back and you're like, wow, there are a lot of shots going for each team, and not all of these shots are easy, and there's guys stepping up that maybe you wouldn't expect to step up or usually see, and Mohab Yasser and Conley Garrison were that for each side, and even look at, you know, Jaden Seymour started the game big again, and Ty Brewer, he's leading you in scoring. Very balanced from both sides, right? Like, yeah, I know Garrison had 23, but 
I mean, there are four other guys for Furman that had eight or more. ETSU, you know, there was no one standout scorer, but Ty gave you something. Mohammed Yasser gave you something. For those 36, 37 minutes, it was championship-level basketball in a mid-major conference. And I don't have any questions about that. And I think some of Desmond Oliver's frustration post-game is that he has seen this song and dance before. And it wasn't all that long ago. He mentioned the UAB game. He mentioned the uh, Appalachian State game, you know, to open the year. And it's tough to think that in a period of time where the Bucks have done so much winning, all of a sudden they have to relearn how to win. Now, it's a new coaching staff, right? There's a lot of new players. But you do have the same leaders as last year. And you add Jordan King to the mix, obviously. But you have a lot of the same contributors at the top of that scoring sheet. And so I think that that's frustration for Desmond Oliver and for fans that have seen this group last year around this time go on a run, start 6-1 and one in the league, look like they were league favorites, and then obviously had a bunch of stuff happen on and off the court where it just didn't work out. But it's tough to swallow to hear we just got to figure out how to win. These guys have won before. And so to not have, I don't know if yesterday wasn't the go-to guy, quote-unquote, David Sloan's been that, but he couldn't make the plays down the stretch. Maybe teams are starting to zero in on him late in games because they've seen him make big shots at the Naples Invitational. They've seen him make big shots uh, against Georgia. They've seen him be that guy. And ETSU needs another guy late in games, and it just seems like there's some looking around at each other Who's going to take it? It seems like when there is some decisiveness, it's the wrong play. And that's tough, especially when for 36, 37 minutes you played so, so well. 5.53 to go. Sloan hits a layup at 66, 65. Why don't you go on a trip with me here, Mike? And Foster comes back down and answers with a layup, 66, 65. And here's where it gets a little awry, too. Sloan gets a missed layup and then has that foul called on him 90 feet away from the hoop. So instead of a one-point lead, Foster hits both free throws at 67-66. Brewer has that three go down and spin and spin and spin and pop back out. Slauson with a rebound, missed layup hunter, offensive rebound Slauson, but then the ball goes to Bothwell, and it was stolen by Sloan. And I almost forgot about this play. He gives it up to Jordan King of what looks like a run-out layup, and Slauson comes from behind and just swats it. And a clean block, too. I watched the replay several times. A clean block. Instead of ETSU going up one, the clean block gets knocked almost to half court. Garrison gets it, goes in, hits a layup. And you're looking at that stretch there. Missed layup, slung, foul 90 feet away, the two free throws. Then you have a three rollout. You get give up an offensive rebound, but you get the steal. You get a run out. You think it's going to be scoring. Give Slauson credit. He never gave up on the play. He comes up and swats it, proves why he's one of the best in the league at block shots. Maybe the best all-around player in the league, knowing everything. Statistically speaking right now, I don't even think it's close. And then Garrison does Garrison things and goes hits a layup. And that seemed to be, and all of a sudden it's 69-66. And, yes, Sloan came back and hit the three and tied it at 69. But that even that section of the game, you know, because it's easy to look at, and I've, I've talked about this before with other Buck fans, the last minute of the game, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, boy, it was bad last minute. Well, there's other parts of the game, and this would be an other part of the game where ETSU was right there battling, could have not fouled 90 feet away, could have certainly, hopefully, give Slauson credit more than, than King missing a layup. I mean, it was Slauson making a defensive play, but there were a couple plays in there, the Ty Brewer, Roley that didn't go on the same goal in which we saw the Garrett Heen shot go in. 
all these things add up in a conference game to there. But there, there's a lot the last six minutes to look at and go, ETSU really for 30 minutes probably looked like a better team on that day. And really the last, you know, sort of that three, four minutes, you start to see it shift into the final seven minutes where Furman outplayed ETSU. You know, so it's maybe a 32, 33 minutes ETSU looking like maybe a road win. Then the final seven, it starts to, to change. And for sure, the final three or four, Furman steps up and, and just take, takes the win, you know, and, and earns it. Earns it. You know, nothing was given in that game. That was a, you know, and I know I use the Mike Young comment a lot. And, and But, I mean, it was a high-level Southern Conference basketball game where I thought teams competed hard. It was a clean game. It wasn't. It wasn't chippy. Nobody was doing anything dirty. There wasn't whistles that were awry that made you go, "What in the world the referees doing?" It was a. Is there a tip out of bounds here or there where both teams could probably complain? Sure. Is there a guy get mauled in the middle of the paint that didn't get called? Sure. Is there a ticky tack foul that didn't get called that you're always amazed by? Furman got called for a travel for the once a year that you see travel, right? I mean, it's just. But the referees really were a factor. They weren't seen. You didn't really notice them, which is always what you want. I thought ETSU had a chance to do something they've not done a lot, which is win in Timmins Arena, especially since rejoining the league would have just been the second time. And Furman does it again and does enough to pick up the win. And we'll just see. Neither team has swept the regular season series since I think it was 94-95. Was, or 93-94 last time ETSU swept the season's regular season series. Now, sometimes I think they were in the south and the north. They didn't play twice a year, so that's a little misleading too. But since they've been back, if you just want to look at the past seven years, eight years, nobody has swept the season series, and Furman's got a chance to do so when they come back. Can we discuss points on turnovers? Because sure, because it's disgusting. I can no longer believe that this is just some kind of coincidence with home and away. I just need to go over the losses recently, quote-unquote recently, last month or so. So you dropped the game at home to North Carolina A&T, outscored points off turnover 26-7. I made a big enough deal about that on videos and broadcasts and gear and everything. UNCA, you're minus eight points off turnovers. Then you skip ahead to the Chattanooga game, 12-4, minus eight again. And then you go to the Wofford game, and you're minus 19. And then last night, you're minus 14. I mean, your last five losses, you're minus 70 in your last five losses and points off turnovers. And I know when we think points off turnovers, we think uh, steal and score right away. But, But points off turnovers is so much more than that, right? It's a turnover that on the next possession, the team scores off of. Points off turnovers. And I'm starting to believe that it says something more about this team. And it's something that we don't discuss often on air, but I think you know, fans talk about it. We talk about it when we're not behind the microphone. That this team, when things start to go bad, they go really bad. Uh, like last night, right? Like, you see the three roll around and out. It doesn't go down. Um, you do you know a couple of silly things down the stretch and all of a sudden you can't find the basket at all it's not just boy one or two possessions geez it's three points the final five minutes and 50 seconds so to me and please correct me if i'm wrong or you have a different perspective on it but to me i look at points off turnovers and i say 
wow, we have a hard time forgetting what just happened. We, we don't have a short memory. We, stuff sticks with this team, and they have a hard time putting it behind them. And maybe I'm overgeneralizing with points off turnovers, but if we're talking five losses in a row, and you're minus 70, you're averaging being a minus 14 in points off turnovers, those are games. I mean, 14 points, that's a massive swing. Furman, and Vegas is brilliant, we know this, Furman was favored by 8.5 last night, right? In a game where they have often blown the Bucks out there at Timmins Arena. So if you're talking 14 per game, that's almost double the line. These games in the Southern Conference, yeah, you're going to have blowouts here and there, but all of them can be competitive on any given night, as we saw last night with Western Carolina and Chattanooga. I think that this shows more mentally about ETSU right now as a unit. Not to say it can't change. Not to say it's not correctable. But it's too big of a sample size for me to just sit back and say, eh, game here, game there, a couple points off turnovers. Minus 70 the last five games. Am I wrong? No, no. I think it's um, definitely not not handling adversity, right? Because some of the – it's not like they're giving up 30 – points off turnovers or 20 points off turnovers on 25 turnovers. Last night, 14 turnovers, 20 points. I mean, they're they're almost giving up a conversion every single time there is a turnover, and that's a little disturbing, yes. And I think you can narrow it down to that's it. I mean, when ETSU gets turnovers and runs, I mean, ETSU may be one of the, you know, for a non-pressing team, the best running team in the league that, that, that doesn't press or do stuff in the open floor. They've really, I think, turned themselves nicely into being able to convert. And I think it started the pre-Georgia, right? After, right after UNCA, I think they started working on, hey, we got to work on these simple stuff, three-on-two, two-on-one. Like, we got to score that. We're not scoring the basketball on the open floor. There's no excuse. And they've started to do that. And it comes off usually a defensive rebound or a turnover. And so they're very good doing that. Are they not getting back on defense? Is it a are they letting the play hang over? Are they sulking? Is it just luck that everyone's hitting the shot afterwards? At some point, it really can't be because teams are so efficient at points off turnovers. So I'm going to talk around that but still go with I agree with the assessment on it's more mental. And physically speaking, I think obviously the athletes are there, some plays are there, but they've got to be able to come together. And, yes, I think there's some issues inside the post that's going to rear its head at some point in time. But it's the guards. I think the guards aren't aren't producing defensively after something goes awry, whether it's feeling sorry for themselves, whether it's not getting back on D, whether it's losing the sharpness once there's a turnover happening. I, I don't really know the answer to it, but it is a disturbing fact that ETSU has given up so many points off turnovers, and it's cost them games. Right now, ETSU seems like an every-other-game team, and so I'm going to be interested to see what happens Saturday because Sanford is 6-1 at home, and their only loss at home is to a really good Belmont program. And, yes, the Bulldogs look rough. I mean, they lost by 23 yesterday to Wofford, and they're 1-3 in the SoCon, and it's seeming like they're going to be a tale of two seasons, right? The non-conference where everyone's like, whoa, two power five wins. What is all this now, Buckyball? And then the conference where they're like, oh, we remember Buckyball. Same old, same old. This is a game that ETSU needs. I mean, you can't be two and four, right? You can't be two and four. And that would be, uh, I don't want to say disastrous, 
because there's no disasters a third of the way through a league season. Anything can happen over the last 12 games, the last two-thirds of the season. But it is a game that if you don't win, there are going to be some eyebrows raised and some people talking on their collars. Like, I mean, it's it's interesting how the, the narrative can change. Because you win last night, you're 3-2, and two, you're game out of first, considering no what happened. Now Half you're, game, now you're, first. Now you're 2-3. and three. You play Sanford, but here's the other issue. You play Sanford, and then you get a chance to play three straight home games. So let's say, as Desmond Oliver said, he talked to his team about not losing any more home games. So if you were to rattle off four in a row, and then you've got, what, six of your last nine on the road. So you'd finish the first half of the season with a four and three mark, and you're like, okay. Or is that right? No, six, no. Uh, six and three. Yep. Six and three mark. I'm sorry. I'm going to get four and three. But six and three mark because four wins in a row. Sorry. So you'd be six and three, and then you go second half of the season, and you're like, all right, here we go, right? You just got to be able to pick off a game or no two doubt. on the road, do whatever. But if you lose that, then you turn into three must-win games at home because then you're trying to go five and four through the first slate. And that's tough because you know you've got six of the last nine on the road. So, yes, there's probably not a such thing as a must-win right this second, but clearly ETSU needs to live up to the every other for this point and then maybe try to reset once they get back home. But this would go a long way. I think if they can get a win – Samford, I think, is a good matchup for ETSU for the simple reason of their guarding. Honestly, you look at the next couple of games, I feel like ETSU has a favorable matchup until they get to Greensboro. I mean, you look at every matchup at Samford, a good one at Mercer home, a good one at Citadel home. Greensboro, we'll talk about that later, but I, I think they got it. So, okay. All right, so uh, next segment, something, uh, something new, right? We got a little... Uh, one time only. A one time only special segment, an ode. An homage to our guy. To an old ball coach. We'll do that after this timeout. Sando Sidekick. Oh, I get here. Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. I'm not supposed to say that. Let's go. It's big boy football. We're not playing touchy Philly. Everybody be happy, you know, football anymore. Let's go. Our offense looks putrid. We act like we had never seen a defensive line before. Really an embarrassing performance. I thought I was going to have a coordinator down here on the sideline on offense. Let's go. Sleep is that important? Go get some more. We'll play without you. Let's go. I'd have that goalpost thrown over my shoulder coming back up the interstate. Probably naked. But the thing on the I'll carry that rail myself. hundred and something pounds, but I'll put that thing under one arm and get it in the trophy case. Let's go. I can't wait to get home and fire up a cigar and have my dot Pepsi. Let's go. If you'd offer me 6-1 to begin the season, I would probably thought I'd been drinking something other than Diet Pepsi with a cigar. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm an old fat guy, and I'm sitting here fighting cramps right now. Let's go. I might smoke up at least $20 worth of cigar tonight. Let's go. I was sitting here looking at chicken wings and tater tots. 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 Let's go. You don't see guys walking around, jogging around on the practice field. Let's go. I think I gotta stop those three buses somewhere and buy them an ice cream cone. I just gotta find somewhere that's got a buttload of soft serve ice cream. That's somebody else's problem. I just gotta pay for it. 
Let's go. Well, I don't know if I want you to know where I live, but I'll be glad to meet you somewhere. Let's go. I, I don't believe I said some of those. I think y'all making them up on me now. Let's go. I really hope my wife and daughters aren't listening to this. I'm not supposed to say that, but... That brings it back, doesn't it? It does. We've not heard that in a while. I want to remember Randy Sanders the same way that I mean, he didn't die, first of all. And the sidekick <laughs> got to know him. And the initial way that this show really found out who Randy Sanders was, really started to enjoy his tenure, was through the Randy Sanders montage. Now, it kind of expanded and evolved into something else on a coach's show, and I'm going to play this segment in its entirety, and we don't have to listen to it because you and I have heard it, but it kind of evolved into, on the coach's show, you were out, um, might have been the Army-Navy game, or you you were somewhere, I had to host a coach's show, and had a bunch of clips from Coach Sanders, um, life lessons with the coach, and I just enjoyed, from the most quotable coach in the Southern Conference, and obviously there's a lot of great things about Randy Sanders' time here, including championships and attendance records and national TV appearances. And He was a phenomenal coach. He did phenomenal things for a program that has emerged now into, judging by the last polls around the nation, a top-ten team at the FCS level, thanks to Coach Sanders and what he did. So this is by no means, let's just remember Randy as this version of him, because there's obviously tons to remember him for in football, but this show knows him as the most quotable coach in the Southern Conference. And so, on, I believe it was October 9th, or October 16th, 2019, Randy, on the ETS Radio Coaches Show, took on a different form in terms of being quotable, life lessons with the coach. I listened to probably 15 or 20 hours of Randy Sanders' audio per week, because there's the press conference on Mondays, there's post game on Saturdays, which I'm in studio for, there's the coach's show itself, which I'm also in studio for, there's your pregame interview, it kind of goes on and on, as you can tell, uh, and last year we did the Randy Sanders montage on Santos and the Sidekick, people are still coming up to me and saying you're the most quotable coach in all of FCS, and I think they mean that in a good way, it was fantastic radio if I say so myself, uh, this year it's a little bit of a different spin on things, and it's just having listened to you kind of give advice, give your thoughts on different things involving football and life. Number one we have is just your thoughts on football. There's been a few of them that you feel like you've given birth in after a game as a coach. So some games that can be tough for you, obviously. Now, there's ones that you really love. Special games are when you have twins. That's when it's really special. <laughs> so different levels of football games. I'm wondering if uh, you've had more games where it's felt like twins or you've had just the regular games this year. Uh, honestly, up till last week, it, it most of them are just kind of regular games. It's it's uh, uh, challenging, you know. The, the the excitement being in the arena, the crowd, the, our, our, our crowds have been absolutely awesome this year, and uh, we certainly hope that 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 doesn't change at this point. But uh, there's there's a certain level of frustration in every game. I pretty much have a headache after after <laughs> every game. Uh, but I think as much as anything, it's from walking, chewing gum, and thinking. Uh, I, doing all three of those things at the same time really gives me a headache. At least it doesn't feel like you've had twins. Here's your thought on coaches. I find coaches for penalties, $20 per yard, because he got run into it by an official, tried to push him out in front of a couple other guys, and it hadn't worked. Would you like to name that coach? Is that someone from the past or present? Maybe you don't want to name names. Well, that actually happened last year. Fortunately, okay. I changed that rule right before the uh, – uh, VMI game this year before I got my 15-yarder. <laughs> so, 
Um, Conveniently enough, right? right. With that. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, your thoughts on players, Coach? I've gone years with teams without a favorite player. Now, I know neither of those years are the two here at ETSU, but I thought that was a fantastic summation of how coaches feel sometimes about players. Well, you, I, I tell my players all the time, it, as young men, as people, I, I love them. I, I love my daughters. And I still love my daughters, but that doesn't mean when they were young and they messed up that they didn't get uh, corrected. You know, that I, I always separate the, the individual from the player. Some of the players irritate me to no end. But as young men, for the most part, they're all, they're all really good young men. Uh, they handle themselves well. They behave themselves the right way. Uh, really proud of that. But uh, it's one thing to uh, be a good person. It's another thing to be a good player. Let's stay on football. You are a quarterback guy. You demand a lot of quarterbacks. Your thoughts on quarterbacks? If you ask Chance what I whisper in his ear, it, it might not be repeatable sometimes. Well, not all the time, just sometimes, right? I mean, that's not something that you're constantly making a habit of with Chance and others. Well... I will tell you, I, as a quarterback, having played quarterback and coaching quarterbacks for a long time, you don't get hit that often. But to me, the quarterback's got to be the toughest guy on the field, not only from a physical standpoint but from a mental standpoint. And they're, they're, the only way I know to get tough is you got to be in tough situations. And every day we go on the practice field, I, I, I put them in a tough situation. And, and I expect uh, them to handle it. I expect them to respond. Uh, adversity is part of the game, and, and there are certain days I created a lot of adversity for the quarterbacks. There are certain days I created a lot of adversity for a number of people, but especially for the quarterbacks. And, um, you know, when, if, if they can handle me on a daily basis, they should be able to handle the, whoever we're playing on Saturdays. You love J.J. German. You love Tyler Keltner. You love your kickers, but kickers as a whole tend to draw your ire once in a while. Your thoughts on kickers? Shouldn't miss an extra point. I told, told, told Mercy. I made every extra point in high school in my senior year. Were you a kicker in high school? Well, yeah, yeah. That was back in the day when you had the square toe shoe and you just went straight on and you just towed that thing right there <laughs> to the uprights. It's not that hard. You got ten people or nine people blocking for you, one person holding the ball and the poles don't move how hard is it to kick it between them i don't know i'm glad that i don't have to because no, that was that was one rule i had for my daughters too they could date most anybody they wanted except a kicker no no bringing <laughs> kickers home <laughs> that's drawing the line right there yeah that's drawing the a line. good father would uh relationships we move more into life things coach sanders on relationships she is leaving next week and gonna be gone for almost a month i'm gonna miss her but i'm excited because i might get some wings and tater tots on wednesday night now, it's Wednesday. You still don't have wings and tater tots. That was in regard to your wife leaving. That was last week. I'm hoping that comment went okay around the house. Oh, yeah. It, it went fine around the house. Uh, my wife wasn't listening to the radio, so we didn't have any <laughs> conflict at all. The bad part is I got a daughter that's, uh, you know, that works at ATSU, and she's a great – she's at home right now. Uh, she thinks she's got to take over as mom when, when my wife is gone. So, um Saw her today. She was telling me what she's cooking, so no wings and tater tots tonight. Oh, you've got some support. Unfortunately, it doesn't sound that much welcome. You want those wings and tater tots. This is Coach Sanders on dieting. Bacon, gravy, and steak. Pretty much all my basic food groups. How about vegetables? You know, I think I went about three months and didn't eat anything green. <laughs> I mean, this is an incredible diet that you've got going on, Coach, and you look healthy and ready to get on the football field as we speak. Well, vegetables are all right as long as they're fried, you know. <laughs> Tater tots, french fries, uh, you know, things like that. Fried green tomatoes, fried okra. Uh, corn on the cob's all right, pretty, you know. But, but I'm, I'm, 
not real big on the green vegetables, uh, unless you. No, green beans sometimes you put some bacon grease in there or something like that. That's, that's pretty good. Bacon's got to be involved. Yeah, bacon. I like bacon. Coach Sanders on fashion. That's one of the great perks of coaching. You don't have to buy clothes. That's fantastic. That's just good reasoning is what that is. That's financially sound advice. Well, it, you, you get a lot of uh, gear, as you can see. And uh, the other thing, you know, my wife's gone for a month. Our equipment staff washes most of my clothes this time of year anyway. So you, you can tell by the way I'm dressed right now, other than uh, game day, I pretty much wear this. That's one of the beauties of coaching. You don't have to buy clothes, and you get to wear elastic waistbands most of the time. Coach Sanders on one of his favorite habits, fishing. Usually I throw them all back anyway because I want to go back and catch them again the next week. See, to me, you're a humanitarian is what it is. Uh, there's no question. Just straight humanitarian. I, uh, I don't know that uh, – I don't know what else to say about that. I, I, I love fish. I love catching them. I love uh, I love eating fish. There's, there's very few things I enjoy more than uh, fish. Fish, pizza, cheeseburger, steak, bacon, uh, and pizza. I, I'm big on pizza. But, uh, you know, throw them back, go catch them again. And, uh, uh, you know, I, my granddaughter came to the game last week. I, you know, it, it was good to see her. Uh, we're going to give her one more game. She's been to two games. We've lost both of them. We, we lose another one. Her, her little butt's going to stay in Kentucky on game day. But uh, uh, it was nice to see her. And I, I hope uh, I'm still around long enough, and I hope there's fish around where I can take her fishing and watch her catch her first fish. I particularly enjoy your takes on weather. I heard there's something like 8 million lightning strikes on Earth a day. Have you ever heard that? It's stupid. That is stupid. I mean, how is this planet still in one piece? Uh, yeah. I'm no scientist, but that's insane. Well, I, I was telling somebody uh, today, I don't know how the conversation came up, but almost every night I watch how the universe works. I, I record those things. I, I watch them, and that's what puts what I go to sleep by. So uh, that's where I learn all my uh, stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't really believe, you know, George Patton was right when he believed in reincarnation and things like that. But if he was right and I'm reincarnated, I'm coming back as an astronaut. Can you come back as a profession? That's interesting. No, you come back as a person, but you get to choose your profession. Maybe so I don't I'm understand a, reincarnation. A, yeah, obviously you don't. But I'm going to be an astronaut if I get another chance. Uh, you are not so much for music. I have never listened to music to get hyped. No. You, know, you don't need it, though. Well, everybody needs to get hyped, and you have your own way. Mine's not music. Mine's just uh, uh, when, when you start talking about competing whether whether it's a football game you know we're talking about fishing whether it's uh uh you know i used to play golf i'm so bad at it now i pretty much quit but I, i've always loved to compete it doesn't matter whether it's cards anything else and and just the the competition the the excitement the adrenaline that you get from uh knowing you're getting ready to compete is all the hype i need it, it's you know everybody has their own ways to try to get the the adrenaline rush well mine's just knowing I'm getting ready to compete and measure myself against somebody. On exercise. I need to find my Fitbit. Have you found that Fitbit yet? <laughs> no, I, uh, I haven't actually looked. I haven't looked. Okay. I, well. I, I'm sure one of my daughters probably took it. but At least um, it's getting good use then. Yeah, it, it's. I, I got no doubt it's being used or either pawned, one of the two. <laughs> I also think that you are more of a uh, old-school guy, and so your thoughts on social media match. I have never tweeted. 
What would make you tweet? If there was one thing where you would send your first tweet, because I checked and you have not ever tweeted, what would that one thing be? You're a big family man, maybe a picture of you yeah, and your daughters. It, or... it would probably be something with my daughters or, or my granddaughter or my future grandchildren I hope to have. I have I certainly have nothing against social media. It, it's just that when I grew up, you know, your your telephone's hung on the wall and you had a cord to it. And I, I can remember when you had to put your finger in the dial and turn it, you know. So uh, it, it's nice to have a phone. It's nice to uh, have social media and have the access to that. And I love uh, being able to uh, get on the phone and get news and see what's going on in the world. But uh, – when I was growing up as a teenager, you didn't want everybody to know what you were doing. So the whole thing about posting it out there, exactly what you're doing, where you're at, and what's going on, I, I, that's the part I don't understand. I, I, I wanted to keep most things quiet and, and out of the public eye, not, not, not tweeting it out there so everybody knew what was happening. Quite the dynamic shift we've had in our society. Way different, way different, no question. Okay, so the reason that I played those 11 minutes and hopefully it's because we're lazy. Well, that too. Okay. Hopefully it's something that people haven't really heard before because not everyone listens to the coaches show that listens to this. We don't archive the coaches show anywhere. And if you had heard it before, it's been about two, two and a half years. So hopefully that sets the stage and brings it back for what we're going to do now. Because I realized when I was sitting thinking about what we're going to do on the show today that I'm never going to do a coach's show with Coach Sanders again. You're never going to do a coach's show with Coach Sanders again, which got me a little emotional. I'm an emotional guy. I'm just like, man, he's really gone. You know, it kind of finally hit home for me, and people may be asking, well, why didn't you do this right after he was gone? Well, why didn't you do this before the hiring? Why didn't you do so on and so forth? It didn't really hit me until yesterday, and I had more sound bites saved up. I have, like, 13 more, and I'm never going to get to play those with Coach Sanders and so I actually listened back to him, and I was like, wow, you know, a lot of these have to do with Jay. Uh, I wanted to run through some of these with you since we don't have Coach Sanders. I yeah. thought it was a nice way to continue this little tradition that's like once every two years. Not really a tradition if it's only once every two years. but And also, you know, kind of round out his time, at least involved with Sanders and the sidekick. So the first sound that you're going to hear is Coach Sanders talking about you. Yeah, you're kind of soft, but we have kickers. So, you know, there was that kind of relationship that you guys had in the coaches' shows and such where you could needle each other a bit, you know, go back and forth. And I think he, he was talking about at that time, who would be better, you or me, on the football team? Mm. And he was like, oh, I think I'd take Jay. Now you're kind of soft, but, you know, we do have kickers. You could be a kicker. So that was a, a fun moment between you two. The next is him actually showing a, a bit of uh, compassion for you. You had to need Aura Gel or anything. <laughs> yeah, so he wants to make sure that you're all right, you know, not mm-hmm. eating any Aura Gel, which um, I think you actually can uh, eat. I think it is edible, but uh, I'm not sure uh, for you would be something that you would want to do a whole lot. And then, you know, he wants some reciprocation, right? He cares for you. He wants you to care for him. I have a parking ticket passed, too. Can you help me out with that? Now, I'm hoping at some point before his time on campus is over, you did help with that parking ticket. I did. I have no clue. You did. No, I did not. Really? No, there's other people like in the building. Yeah, but there's people in the building that can. I can't. Well, he asked you directly, so I, I think yeah. that was not your responsibility. Which is his fault for right. asking me. But there are some philosophical things I think that you two share, um, and, and there's a couple of them that I came across. And I don't know why we let graduation get in the way of football, but priorities. Yeah, I think you probably agree on that front that football is a few rungs above graduation. Do, do I look like an academia guy? I think you don't. Well, we'll have more on that later. Good okay. thing is, that as I get older, I quit worrying about how I look. Relatable for you. Certainly. <laughs> I don't care how I look. We all know that. 
taking some of the same critiques. You know, you and Coach Sanders obviously have worked closely together. You have talked probably, geez, five, ten hours a week on and off air combined. And so it's only natural for some people to levy some of the same criticisms. Some people say I got a little smart elk attitude. I don't know. I'm quite sure you've heard that before, too. <laughs> yes, slightly. Now, this is, I think, a nice moment between you two where it seems that he wants to continue your friendship that you've developed over the years that he's been hit. One of these days, me and you going to go to Bristol and take our shirts off. Now, there haven't been any races since he has retired, but uh, there is one coming up in just a couple of months, so you and him will be there shirts off at Bristol, I'm assuming. I mean, I've had shirts off there before. He has not, so that will be a new one for him. You are dissimilar in some ways. Find the crumb. You don't have to find the whole dinner. Just just find the crumb. I'm quite sure you have found the whole dinner. And Pretty crumbs. much every night. At the I've taken the bread and sopped it up if I had to. On Josh Conklin and, you know, his job status, and it seemed like Randy had some similar thoughts to you. Somebody's <laughs> got to step up and do the damn right thing. Well, and it certainly wasn't Wofford's administration. <laughs> of course, that piece of audio completely in context has all these audio. You have no more thoughts on that. I'm assuming <laughs> you want to keep those to yourself. No, I'm good on that. that. Okay. Um, no, I didn't go through graduation. If I had to do over again, I wouldn't go through my high school graduation. I love high school. But I was already in college. I had to go back to high school to graduate. I did graduate, though. <laughs> I have the diploma. I got proof. So I'm assuming that hits home for you. As you said, you're not exactly the academia. So I do have proof as well. <laughs> you have proof as well. Which <laughs> I've, got, I've got some diplomas. Some would say, uh, some would say that you need. I'm one day at a time, one game at a time. I don't go there. I'll let my wife do that. She's, you know, she's always been a dreamer. That's the way she reeled me in and married me to start with by being a dreamer. So that's one of my low-key favorite sound bites. He's basically saying that his wife dreamt big, and so when she found him, it was a dream realized. Would you say the same about your wife? I have the, lightly if she listens. To I have the argument with my wife because at some point in time, every few weeks, she reminds me how smart she is and how smarter she is than me, in which my response is, if you're so damn smart, why did you marry me? <laughs> okay? Or how did I get you to marry me if you're that smart? That, that, that's sort of my thing. So um, we're probably opposite in that, um, I, I'm assuming. Um, I, can't, I can't speak for his wife, but I, I have a feeling that he may have exaggerated that some. So two titles, FCS quarterfinal appearance, national TV appearance, multiple attendance records, a legacy at ETSU, and I think I agree with Coach Sanders just summating his time here. And that's pretty good. Indeed it is. Coach Sanders <laughs> on what I guess you could just call uh, an homage, a remembrance. Uh, yes, he is still alive. Yes, absolutely. But his time here at ETSU is over. And I thought we should dedicate a little bit of time to remember him as I enjoyed him most, the lighthearted fun guy. Is there any way you can convince him to get in either the TV booth or the radio booth? And, and could you – actually at some point reel him back in to remind him there's a game going on because at some point his mind is going to wander and talk about stuff that is not relevant to anything that's the one thing i'll miss out of all the coaches i've dealt with at some point he goes rogue on every coach's show whoever me you i don't know if he did anybody else but as soon even the press conferences at some point he goes rogue and just talks about whatever it is he wants to talk about that has nothing to do with anything and sometimes it's like, do you try to reel him back in or you just let him finish whatever it is and then somehow figure out how to transition into something? That's the one thing I think I'll miss is not knowing it's coming, but not knowing when it's going to come and what it's going to be about. Well, and I actually thought about that and prepared for this segment. I was like, man, Randy, beloved 
guy that he is around this area. Like, it would be awesome to have him on some of the broadcasts. But that's almost exactly where my head went, too. Like, coaches show's an hour long, right? A football game's going to last anywhere from three to three and a half hours. And the way he just kind of does weave and bob his way through and just kind of go down the rabbit holes and tangents that he wants to, boy, three and a half hours seems like a long time for him to stay focused. Now, he did it during football games. Maybe maybe in the fact that a game would be going on. Obviously, he was one of the best play callers in all of the country, and he did phenomenal things in the sideline. So the one chance I think that it would have for success is if there's something going on in front of him, a football game, where he can focus on the stuff and really get into it, maybe that would change things. Because, obviously, you're not talking to him during the games. You're talking to him when, you know, his mind has time to wander. Maybe it wouldn't wander during a game. Could we get halftime uh, Randy, though? Because, you know, Putrid and so many other things that, you know, he, he does and says. I mean, if we could get that for a while, that would be uh, – I don't I think that would still wear a little thin, too, after a while. But, boy, would it be fun for a quarter, maybe? Yeah, like just a guest Yeah, just to, you know, kick Don out of the booth for a quarter. Or, yeah. you, know, you just tell Hutzel uh, at halftime to see another uh, taco and come on back <laughs> later. Right. Or I don't know. I don't know what it would be. I think it would be entertaining – for a few minutes, I, I don't, I don't know. It's a whole game, I think, is asking a lot. Yeah, especially on radio because if you have to do the hour and a half pregame, cool. then you got to do three and a half. I don't know that you can do it. Well, I, I don't. And maybe that's where TV side would be better because people can still see what's going on. So even if he does, have that's a right. You still got a picture <laughs> to have an idea. Ninety sure. seconds into some ridiculousness, you can still watch the game at least while Randy's talking about what kind of fish he caught the other day and the stream or the river. I don't know if he fly fishes or regular fishes or whatever, but. I'm sure he would find a way to mix in fishing and diet Pepsis. And he made a lot of a cigar in the booth. I he might. I mean, he might. Talent, That's so. a small booth, too. I mean, I might get smoked out. Yeah, this windows don't open. All right, well, we got bold predictions. This is my favorite part of the segment. Coming up after this time out, San Jose Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead investing in our community today and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power here for you. Shohei Otani. I don't know if you heard this yet. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus 10 euros. Hit a buck 20 max. There's not a soul that can stop the big three in New Jersey. That's in five, baby. Literally, the last person on earth that should ever be considered for the U.S. national is JaVale McGee. NIL stands for never in life, as a never in life will NIL be a real thing. Show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. A newly fit Jake Sandoz will never scout another drive in Johnson City Country Club Senior Tour. Here we come. Bold predictions, my favorite time of the year. What do you got, Mike? I want to talk about women's basketball for a second. They were back in action 22 days 
between games. 22. Longest stretch since 1987-88 that they have not played a game in season. And I thought it would have been ever. I can think of no possible reason. 87-88. It was from December 12th to January 6th. It just seemed like it was holidays and a semester. And Hmm. maybe back then they just gave the kids, you know, the extra week or two. But 35 years uh, since it's been that long in season. Chattanooga is the opponent. Um, they're going to have, have Cornelius leading them. ETSU is expected to have everybody back. So Demaya Griffin's missed geez, seven weeks now with that lower leg injury. That's going to be a huge addition. Carly Hooks, uh, obviously one of the leading scorers on ETSU's team last year. Um, so she, having missed the last three games, is going to be back. Demi Burdick missed the last three games, going to be back. Jameer Houston is expected to be back as well. So... As full strength as they've been in a long that's time. That's right. The eight players, the four freshmen, three COVID freshmen, and Amaya Adams, that ship has sailed. That time has come and gone. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of how not only they play together again, how Simon Harris works in the rotation, who plays. It's almost truly, and I know people say, well, there's a non-conference and there's a conference season, and, you know, it's the second year, right? Like it's almost a brand-new slate. Like you have the non-conference and then you just wipe it clean. Well, this is truly – more than any team I think I've ever seen going to be kind of that second season where all games matter now. Um, it's a 0-0 zero zero record, right? They say that, but truly here, I mean, the non-conference matters not at all. The only issue, and you hope this isn't the case, but they've had to sit and think about a 1-12 record, 10 straight losses for 22 days. And you hope that the mental side of things, they're able to recover from that. They've been able to block it out and just say, you know, look, we're buying into the fact that it's a 0-0 zero zero record. So, knowing all that, noon is tip-off. It's on CW Tri-Cities uh, with myself and Bruce Strambarger. Find it there. No radio. We will have radio uh, next weekend. But Chattanooga ETSU noon start right before ETSU men's basketball takes on Sanford, which we will have on the Buccaneer Sports Network, 2-3 pregame, 3 o'clock tip. Uh, the most points scored by an individual on the roster this year is 19. I'm saying that that gets broken against Chattanooga, and I'm not only going to give you that it will be broken, but the individual herself, and I do think it's going to be Demaya Griffin, the UT Martin transfer. She's already got two double-digit games of the four that she's played in. She's rested, refreshed, probably honestly only needed four or five weeks. Now she's seven weeks out of action, and I think that there won't be any minutes limit there. shouldn't be any restriction, and so I'm saying 20 or more for Demaya Griffin against Chad. I thought you were going to go 22 since it's been 22 days. Uh, it's been double-digit days since they played, so it's going to be a double-digit win for ETSU over Chattanooga. We are coming off a double overtime win over Sanford. I could care less. It is a <laughs> double-digit win for the ETSU women's basketball program. I like it. Men's basketball. Most points scored this year, 92. 93 or more against Sanford. They're going to break their season record for points in a victory at Buckyball. And that means there's probably going to be like two or three 20-point scores. I'm not going to go there, though. I'm just saying 93 or more. Well, I'm going to go off the grid here on, on somewhere you're not uh, remotely thinking about. But the Mercer Bears have a home game. This We record Thursday. They've got a game Thursday against VMI, home UNCG, and they will go 2-0 and mm. against VMI and UNCG. Both at home? Both at home. You don't think Natalie Alvarez being out is – I think they're going to go 2-0, two, two baby. Yeah. Mercer's going to go 2-0. Every home team on Wild Card Weekend is going to win. And as I'm saying that, I absolutely know it's not going to happen, but I'm going with it anyway. The Bengals, Bills, Bucks, Cowboys, Chiefs, Rams. For the record, I am worried about the Cowboys and the Bengals against the Niners and the Raiders. Raiders seem like they're on one of those weird runs that 
you know, teams banding together, and they're doing it against all odds and stuff, and, you know, the weird stuff can happen when teams do that. And obviously, um, the Cowboys are just horrible in the playoffs, always have been, always will be. It is going to be 20-plus degrees colder than any game Mac Jones has ever played in. It's going to be <laughs> 2 degrees. Oh, uh, don't. Wind chill is negative. They're predicting negative 10 don't to be it. there. And Mac Jones do is going to lead uh, Mike Gallagher's New England Patriots to a straight-up dub, and they advance. This is unlike you. Because usually I don't ever predict them to win. I don't ever predict them to win. as a place to say, ah, the Patriots are terrible. I'm going to cover my bases, and obviously I'm going to root for them, but if they happen to lose... Then I win. Yeah, exactly. yeah you like that. You always have, but now you're all in on the Patriots in the playoffs. This is incredible. Never. I, he's only played in New England when it was like 28 degrees. And what's the temperature going to be? Two. <laughs> Two. And Winchill's going to put it in the negatives. I think Bill Mafia is going to keep him alive. At least I hope so, because... You're usually insufferable on bold predictions, where you have 15 right, I have 4 right, and rightfully insufferable. But if you come in with a Patriots W under your belt in bold predictions and real life, I might not even show up for the show. It's going to be a lot of talking Monday you don't want to hear about. All right, so you heard it. Noon, ETSU versus Chattanooga women's basketball. ETSU Sanford, 3 o'clock on Saturday. Back in the program, right?